You know, I, I just felt for some time there's so many things that are being said and released into our world every day uh, that the church really needs to uh, hear from Jesus. You know, uh, because it gets we get inundated with stuff. You know, everybody has something they want to tell us and something we need to do and something we need to know. But, you know, ultimately we need to hear from the Lord. Uh, corporately and individually, we need to hear from the Lord. And uh, you'll never go wrong there. And, in fact, it'll protect you and carry you safely into the next chapters of your life. So uh, Matthew chapter eight or 9, uh, verses 10, 11, and 13 are really the Scriptures I wanted to hit. And I want to talk about in this series the words that Jesus spoke. I want to talk about what the Lord has to say. In fact, I I need to make sure that I'm speaking what the Lord has here for us to say. I'm looking at uh, my notes here and I'm going back. I went back too far. So I, I just want to tell you, if you were looking at that portion of Scripture, go home and read it again. And uh, here, and join me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. That's where I want you to start out at. Matthew 5, verse 20. And we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about religion, what he, had to, what he didn't say and what he said about religion. And uh, Matthew 5, 20, uh, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to have discerning hearts and help us, Lord God, in how we, uh, Lord, apply this word uh, to our thinking and to the way we live our lives. And Father, we pray that it'll be bear fruit. It'll bear fruit beyond today into the days to come and the weeks to come. And Lord, years ahead, should you tarry, uh, we pray that uh, your word will always, uh, Lord, produce fruit as we know that it does not return void. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And I want to thank uh, uh, Wes for sharing with us today. Thank you very much. Good job. It was wonderful. And um, I uh, would like to, uh, this morning, talk about religion because, you know, I've said this myself and I believe it to some extent uh, in the right context, but uh, we have a relationship, not religion, and I want to I just step, uh, a step out of that for one moment and, and to say that Jesus was not anti-religion. Uh, and, you know, uh, when I say that, uh, our idea of what religion is sometimes would lead us to believe that, uh, that we're, there's nothing religious about us in what we do. How many of you have ever heard someone say they religiously go to the gym? They religiously go to the coffee shop. That means that every, you know, with regularity they're doing something and it's, it has become a pattern. And you know, religion really is a structure or a pattern for the uh, ideology, the theology, and the way we conduct ourselves. It's just really, it's a, it's a framework for our expression. And I'll give you an example. We have church every Sunday, 9.45, and we come. And I pray that there will be those who come to church at 9.45 on Sunday morning religiously, Right? You know, that hurts sometimes to say that because we have the idea that all religion is bad. 
But religion in and of itself is not bad, and Jesus was religious in, in what he did, and we'll look at some of that here in just a moment. But Sunday school, we have Tom's class at 8.30, a uh, great class going on there. He, he's the, the, the best teacher in the universe. Isn't that what you told me to say, Tom? And uh, so if you want to test that out, you're more than welcome to stop in. And you know, we have a lot of great things happening here at Bethel. And, um, you know, when we think about religion, you know, and in the scripture here, we think it's an indictment against religion. And it's not. It's an indictment against self righteousness. It's an indictment uh, of not loving and caring for others. It's an indictment for doing things to be seen of men. It has nothing to do in and of itself with religion. In fact, if you remember in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus mentions the fact that they tithed the mint annas in common. And he said, and yet you've denied the weightier or more important things. He says, these things you should have done. And he said, and you should not have neglected the other things. Justice and mercy and truth. And so when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. When he says that, he's speaking and making an indictment against religion without relationship where religion becomes a substitute for relationship. And there are those who are very religious about a lot of things and yet don't bear the fruit of any type of relationship. And so when we look at the scribes and we think about them, they were employed in writing out and expounding the law. The Pharisees were the strictest sect among the Jews for their outward religion and righteousness, and yet it seems that their observance was more uh, external and not much internal going on at times. You know, that there was, they were whited sepulchers. You know, the Bible says whitewashed tombs, and inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. That's what he says, right? I think that, uh, I don't know if it was John the Baptist who called them a brood of vipers, you know, so there's a lot that is being said about this, this group of people, and not because they were Pharisees or scribes, but because they lacked within themselves the personal desire uh, for God's will to be accomplished inside of them rather than the external show that they put on. And you know, if we're only putting on a show, we're not going to make it to heaven. That's what Jesus said. If we're just putting on a show for others to see... That's not going to get us into the kingdom of God. He said, and and that's what Jesus said. He said, if your righteousness doesn't go beyond the righteousness of those who practice religion without having a relationship, he said, you are not going to go. In fact, Jesus said that you must be born again, right? That's really where it begins. That's where the pathway to heaven is really engaged in our lives when we are born again. That's when we are born and rebirthed into the kingdom of God to live a life beyond this natural existence that is lived apart from the Lord. You know, there, there will be no admission into heaven without a righteousness, a true righteousness. And where does that come from? It comes from Christ. And when we receive him into our heart and the Holy Spirit takes up dwelling within us, we become the temples of the Holy Spirit. 
We become the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit when we invite the Lord to be our personal Savior. And so when Jesus becomes our personal Savior, then He gives or imputes to us or He places upon our credit His righteousness. And so when we get to heaven, it won't be because of us. It will be because of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us by our acceptance of His death on the cross as our sacrifice of redemption, His purchase of our soul. So there we, you know, we understand that and we, we look at it and we think from Adam until the present day, man has struggled, and I say mankind has struggled because it has lacked relationship with God. There has been an estrangement that began to spread like a spiritual cancer universally across the generations of time to this present day, and it is called sin, and it's called being lost. It's called the fallen nature of a fallen world. And you can't simply cosmetically address that. How many know you can't just cosmetically address that dire situation that exists within each of our lives? You can't. You know, uh, I've said this many times, and someday I'm going to come up with something a little more original, but, you know, if you dress a pig up, put lipstick and a, a nice dress on it, it's still a pig, right? That doesn't change. You know, I like it better when, when the pig becomes bacon or sausage or, uh, uh, you know, uh, joins the family that way. But, you know, uh, and, and, and the, the sinful nature is still there, Apart from being, re, being born again, becoming a new person in Christ. You know, nothing changes. You can change all the external factors that you want to, and yet inwardly, if we're not born anew, we're going to be disappointed on that day when we leave this world. And God doesn't want anyone to be disappointed then. It's not God's will that anyone should die and go to an eternity and unprepared for that most important day when we stand before the Lord Himself. Why would we plan for the most important event in our existence any less than anything on this earth that we prepare and plan for? It should be the most prepared for thing that we've ever been prepared for, and we can find that not through religious repetition not through show. We can find it by having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many believe today because of Christ you are going to heaven? Amen. You say, well, I don't like to say that. I, you know, it could go either way. No, it already, you understand that if you've accepted Christ, you're, you're, you're going to go to heaven. I'd like to make that sound more convoluted and difficult, but it's not. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're going to heaven. If your sins have been washed away, not if you jump through hoops and do certain things. You know, there's nothing that you add to your salvation, add to the fact that saves you. It's through faith in Christ, repentance toward God and faith toward Christ that we receive Him as our Savior and we become anew. You know, the Pharisees were a group of zealous Jews who were contemporaries of Jesus. They believed that the, that the way they would please God and make it to heaven was by meticulously following a long list 
of religious rules and regulations. You know, we think about the Mosaic Law, and the Mosaic Law, the most famous part of the Mosaic Law is, the, is, is reduced into Ten Commandments, and yet uh, we know that there were over 613 commandments uh, that were given to the ancient Israelites. And on top of that, you have the Mishnah, and the Mishnah uh, yeah, is, is a compilation of, uh, of sermons and sayings by Jewish rabbis that were meant uh, to, inter- uh, to provide better clarity and to in- uh, provide the ability to interpret the Mosaic Law. And so what happens, what they said was to clarify became a complete web of thousands and hundreds and thousands of additional rules to follow. Think about how overwhelming that is. I have hard enough time with the Ten Commandments. How about you? Anybody? 613 multiplied into thousands of commandments. And if that's the criteria for getting to heaven, you should go eat a lot of donuts and play golf. I'm not sure why I told you that. Maybe that's still in my heart. But uh, I don't play golf, so, but I do like donuts. And, uh, and, you know, it is kind of a diet food. The center's hollow if you get the, you know, there's nothing there, right? Aren't you glad? Can't you, don't you, you're probably thinking, why, why don't we count that as a diet food? I don't know. That's a good question. But when you think about this, trying to obey thousands of, of these, uh, the, these uh, you know, spin-offs, amendums, addendums, and all these things that are being cast off and, and really accumulated and people are told, you know, what to eat, what not to wear, how to pray, and all this stuff is just being compiled and it just becomes this mess that is overwhelming. You know, when I think about uh, how difficult that would be, you know, Jesus was not for that. He wanted, when Jesus came, he didn't come to uh, abolish the law. You think, well, Jesus hated the law. No, Jesus did not hate the law. He just understood that uh, because of man's sinfulness, that man would never be able to satisfy its demands. We think, oh, Jesus hated the law. That's not true. In fact, he said, I didn't come to do away with it. He said, I came to satisfy the law so that you could find that righteous character of mine imputed and given to you for credit. Isn't that amazing that all of those, uh, all of those commands that were made up after time and, and you know, all of the, all of the things that we would deem to be ridiculous and hard and difficult and yet, uh, were, were enforced and binding in many circles. Jesus said, I've satisfied the law, the God's law, not man's law. He didn't come to satisfy man's law. He came to satisfy the law of God. Amen? Because the law of man will put a burden on your back that you're not able to carry. Your, your relationship with God will be reduced to a Christless religion that is cold and dead. And that's why our church can't afford to just simply have a religion that makes Jesus a, uh, you know, a, 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 he gets a little cameo here and there. He's the center of it all. He's the head of the church. You know, we're, the Pope is not the head of the church. You understand that, right? Uh, the, the, the Mecca for the church isn't Springfield, Missouri, for those who are Assembly of God, right? You know that, right? 
There's one head over this church, and he's Jesus. He says, I am, the Bible says that he is head over all things pertaining to the church. I mean, he's over the whole works. I saw someone, and I'm going to get back on topic here. You say, were you ever on? Yes, I'm getting back there. But I want you to hear, you know, someone was talking about some of these high-profile evangelists. And, you know, people say, you have a problem. No, I don't have a problem because most of them I don't watch. Couldn't tell you what they do. And I'll tell you this, but the one said, well, he should get paid millions because he's the CEO of the church. And my response to that was, uh, well, does Jesus know that? Does Jesus know that he's not the CEO of the church and uh, that this evangelist is? That's the silliest, dumbest thing I've ever heard since the last dumb thing I've heard. There's one CEO in the church. How many know Jesus is still the head of this thing? He said, I will build my church. He didn't say you would build his church. He didn't say I would build. He said, I will build my church. And he said, I and my. And he can do that because it is him and his. Jesus was not anti-religion. A general definition of religion can be distilled from these widely uh, varied experiences as a system connected to spiritual and or supernatural components that uniquely impacts an adherence life, behavior, culture, morality, and approach to certain writings, persons, or places. To say that religion in and of itself is bad as a blanket statement or characterization is, is off base. Religion is not bad, and it is not to be avoided. You know, we've heard, and I've said it many times, we're in relationship, this, it's not religion, it's relationship, and that's important for people to understand, that this is a relational thing. But when you come to Christ, something happens, it's not because you become so bound up in religion, but there becomes a consistency and a pattern that characterizes the way you live your life. You are in church faithfully. And I know, I believe that. Now, sometimes we hold back as we don't. And, and we have vacations. And all, I understand all of that. But I think the church should be really, uh, you know, should be that most, one of the, that most important social, spiritual gathering of the whole week. Other than with your family, of course. I think being with your family, your children, and nurturing and loving them in Christ is the most important call of your life. But I think being in church is really important because it's not because church makes you a Christian. It's because it helps you to be a more effective one. Because you are brought together in community with other believers and you worship with other believers and you receive instruction from other believers. And you know, you're, we, we do what we did this morning and we need to do more of it and will. We need to pray for one another. We need to release what the Holy Spirit has given us to share with others. So what a great thing. Somebody came to church today. Robin was in church and her thumb started working again. I told her to cut down on the hitchhiking and all of that, but she overdid it and her thumb became, you know, casual. No, but she came and it was in the sweet presence as you were worshiping together. 
I love that because sometimes we think it has to happen a certain way. You got to come up here. You got to fall down on the floor. And if God knocks you down, that's a great thing. If you're falling down for yourself, then uh, I hope you don't get hurt. If God puts you down, he'll pick you up. I've always been of that belief. People say, well, what if they fall and hit their head? Well, uh, you know what? If Jesus put, if God puts you down, he's not going to give you, heal your back to fracture your skull. To say that uh, what happens in the name of uh, religion and, and its distortions that, that at times are foisted upon people is, is bad. It's evil. When one worships a system more than God and displaces the Lord from that central place, then it is dead religion. And it's nothing more. But what I'm talking about today, religion implies a structure and a consistency a cohesion, a corporate, a, a, an individual and corporate adherence to a shared faith in Christ. And so it's not a bad thing to, to be consistent, to, to adhere to, to come to, to gatherings, church and prayer, and to do these things with regularity because it is part of your journey in Christ. Religion is directional and provides a framework for consistent religious devotion, expression, and advancement. Religion is a system or a pattern for how we do the things that we believe and profess. James 1.26 says, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, how many know the tongue's a problem? Yeah, we always run around blaming the devil for everything. You know, a lot of times the culprits, what's in the in the, in in here, right, right there, right there, that, that tongue. How many know the tongue gets us in more trouble than the devil does? You know, Flip Wilson said the devil made me do it. And the devil doesn't make you do it. He just he just convinces you that it would be a good eye to do it. And we got to be of the mind of Christ and be discerning. He says, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This religion, one's religion is useless. Now, he didn't say religion is useless. He said this type of religious practice is useless and empty. You know, in fact, Jesus made it clear to those who practice the expressions of their religious duty and worship and were devout in doing those. So he said they should continue to do these things and not neglect the most important things. He says that in Matthew 23, uh, hang with me a little bit here. I'm, this is a little different because then maybe you say, well, how do I process and how do I apply this? Well, I, the main thing is religion is, it, it provides us with a directive and a, and a pathway to, to express our faith corporately. You, I hope you will religiously be in church. Amen? Come on, I'm not saying, now you understand when I'm saying religious, I mean you're here like the, you're here before the church mouse wakes up. God's looking for consistency. He's not looking for sloppy, careless living that I show up when I feel like it or when my schedule's open. God, I'll be in church on the next Sunday if my schedule's open. Well, I'm telling you here, unless you're going, you know, you're going on vacation. I know we're getting up to Labor Day and all these. Whatever you're doing, that's your business. I don't police people. I don't try to prosecute people's church attendance. That's between they and the Lord. But what I'm saying today as we've come together here, 
Put it at the top of your plan, worship Sunday. Not like, well, let me plan everything out, and if I, have pl- I don't have plans Sunday, Lord, I'm going to be in church, as though we are doing God some great favor. Right? How many know we're not doing God a favor by coming to church? God's bringing us here to, to pour into our lives the goodness of heaven together. And that's a joy to see. But I'm getting back. The scribes, he says in Matthew 23, too, he says, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. He's saying, do what they tell you to do, he said, but don't do it the way they do it. They do it, just, they don't, they do it for appearance sake. They don't really do, they don't live this stuff. Matthew 23 says, woe to you, scribe. Uh, he says, woe to you, scribe. Verse 23, Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, annas, and cumin, and yet have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy, and faith. And he says, these things you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus wasn't condemning the Pharisees for their religiosity, he was conde- or their religious practices. He was condemning them for the fact that their, their lives were, inwardly they were dead. There was nothing alive, nothing that really was consistent with a, with a, a real devotion and love for God and others. You know, not, he says, now, don't be like many of those who were in leadership did, to be seen, to be honored by man, and to advance self-interest. He even called them hypocrites. They prayed lengthy prayers, lengthy redundant prayers. They just went on and on and on and thinking because of their long pretentious prayers that somehow that they would be heard. They loved to be given titles. Position was extremely important to some. They were really lazy and indifferent. They carried an attitude of pride and entitlement. They majored in the minors and minored in the majors. They were harsh and they were condescending. They were ceremonially uh, observant and yet relationally detached. They lacked the essentials. Religion is a focused system of belief and behavior. And uh, James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He's saying real religion is, is being compassionate to others. And real, real uh, religion that God supports is a heart that is right with him. A heart that is right with him. Keep in mind that religion has much to do with a framework and a focus for continued expression of belief and behavior. Being religious sometimes has nothing to do with God. Being religious about anything implies consistency, whether it be good or bad. Practice and philosophy with perpetuation and deepening. It's about passion with goals either to be realized in self or with others. Now, Jesus was religious, and that might really shock some people here. Uh, Jesus practiced the religion of the first century of Judaism. He was born under the law, grew up learning the Torah and following its precepts. He He perfectly obeyed the Mosaic law. 
all of the commandments, ordinances, and feasts he observed. He did not only obey the law, he fulfilled and he brought satisfaction to its requirements that would have crushed us all. Aren't you glad today that you're not, you don't have to make your way through a maze of rules to get to heaven? And the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God sets us free. Jesus observed those things. Uh, he was baptized. You know, Jesus was, did Jesus have to be baptized? Yes. Because it was the Father's will that he be baptized. And you know, when we look at Jesus being baptized, some would say, well, that really wasn't necessary because he's God. No, it was necessary because it was part of God's divine plan in order that Jesus should be baptized. And he was, and he obeyed. Jesus and his disciples observed the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, He attended worship services and taught in the synagogues. He advised others to observe the law and offer sacrifices. He promoted respect for the law as it was being taught by the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. You know, he quoted the the, the scripture. In all of this, Jesus showed that that his religion was Judaism at that point. That's what he came to satisfy its demands. I'm going to ask Tammy to come if you would. Secondly, so if Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law, what does our Christian faith and practice look like today? Well, the great thing is we don't have to keep all of those laws, right, in order to get to heaven. Because if we did, one would disqualify you. (laughs) You know, but we think about it, we don't have to live that way. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Come on now, that's a good thing. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, we think about religion, and sometimes the big R, religion, uh, uh, tries to make the J the little J. Jesus is everything here. You know, he's everything. We sing that song, he's all I need. Now, do you believe he's all you need? I mean, I do. I don't always live as though I believe it, right? Sometimes I feel like I got to have this, I got to do that, I got to be here, I got to be there. A million things pressing in. And sometimes the very simple realization is the one the Holy Spirit ushers us back to where we realize we really only need Jesus. We cloud the presentation and focus on Christ when we build a religion that is an idolatry and it's self-promoting and it's it's a vehicle for self-promotion. That's when our religious practices become an abomination before the Lord. Peter and John continued to go to the temple during the hours of prayer. And in fact, it says on one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who going, were going into the temple courts. And we know that a miracle happened there. I mean, you know, one happened there and God's still doing them today. Oh, people say, oh, that's all past. Well, you, if you choose to believe that, I feel sorry for you, but I'm not. I didn't land there. God does heal today. 
Sometimes he heals instantaneously. Sometimes he heals over a period of time. And sometimes he uses physicians. Sometimes he uses surgeons and people that he, he anoints. And I believe God anoints people. I pray for people's surgeons that God would anoint them with abilities beyond their natural abilities, with insight beyond their natural insight. You say, well, how can God anoint someone who's not a believer? God's anointing is resting on them to favor, your, favor you. The apostles began to walk in the new covenant, a covenant of grace and truth. And yet they didn't divorce themselves from the practices of coming to the temple at that point. As the time went on, the church began to grow and it, it became more diverse and people came from outside the Jewish community into the church. And that's the beautiful thing. The law would not, in and of itself, would not allow, and certainly all of the minuscule laws and bylaws and sub-laws that were made by man would not make a way for those who were not Jewish to come into the faith. I mean, they had a debate and a discussion in the early church about what to do with the Gentiles who were coming into the church, and they arrived at a, at a certain understanding, and they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's the way business should always be done, right? Church business. How, wouldn't that be a great way to end a church business meeting or a board meeting and to say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us? Bible says, therefore, in Hebrews 10, 19, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of holy, holiest by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Hebrews 7, 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Uh, Hebrews 8, 6, but now he obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Jesus didn't come to seek a divorcement from the law. He came to satisfy it. And I guess what I'm saying to you today, don't get hung up on relationship, religion. You know, there are people outside the faith who think of this as merely a religion. And that's unfortunate. But it doesn't scare me because what it does is that they recognize that you're part of a movement. But I want to be part of a Holy Spirit movement. I want to be part of a movement of which Christ is the head. I want to walk in alignment with Him. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I don't care if you believe this to be a religious movement. We don't need to get caught up in the semantics. But they do need to know, hey, you're one of those crazy people. You go to church every Sunday. Every Wednesday, you gather your family up. You take them to church. You're pretty extreme. You're religious. And, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't think we should be offended by that. That just means they, they know you, you make it a regular practice to to worship together, to go to the house of God. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. The New Testament church is Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled, and led by believers. The Word of God is our rule of faith and conduct. It's religious, it is religious in regard to possessing a focus, a structure, a practice, consistency, and a perpetuation of those things that we believe. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, you read that. 
the church was consistent. It was intentional in what it did. And from all appearances, they were religious about what they did. But where people need to be introduced to that at a deeper level is they need to be knowing that Jesus is the, he's the, he's the heart of this. He's the head of this. He's the reason we're fanatical. You say, I don't want to be called a fanatic. I don't care. How many say, world, call me whatever you want. I'm choosing to follow him. I'm going to walk with the Lord, and I want to invite you to come along because he loves you just like he loves me. He doesn't love me any better than he loves you. I'm going to walk in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You say, what's the difference? Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Third person of the Trinity. Spirit of God. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's a person. You know, he's a person in the sense that he has emotion, he has intellect, he has will. He distributes his gifts as he sees fit to do. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness. You know, today as we've come into this house, I, I know and uh, you know, I've had some that have suggested, you know, our, our, and, and I agree that sometimes our, our financial challenges are reflections of spiritual issues. But I also think that finances are a spiritual issue. How many know? You want to know, and I'm, I'm not here, this isn't, I'm not taking an offering. I'm, not, I'm just going to say, if you want to know where your heart is, look at where, look at where our, our money's going. You know, get your bank statement, look at it, and say, hey, you know, you know Lord, show me my heart. And he says, go ahead and pick up your back state, bank statement and take a look at it. That'll tell you a lot about where we're at sometimes. And all I'm, I'm saying this to say, that we want to worship God in spirit within us. We want, to, we want every part of our lives to reflect Him. Not just we cherry pick what we want others to see and to know about, but we want to be in right relationship with Him. So devoted to Him that He gets it all. He doesn't get a part of us. I'm going to just read this list. I'm not going to... I want to encourage you. This is what it's to look like. Uh, Rejoice in anonymity. It said that they, the leaders, the old, those leaders, they, they, they wore their phylacteries. They wrapped them around their arms and they carried you know, their heads and they wrapped, uh, 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 wrapped around their left arm and around the forehead, carried the law. But you know, I want you to say it needs to be in here. You can have a Bible on, your, on the, on the uh, coffee table in your house and everybody who comes in sees the, the Bible there. But I pray that when they see our Bible, they don't see the dust on top of it. They don't see the absence of it in our lives. They see the reality of it. So as they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments, they love the best place at the feast, the best uh, place seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, the flesh loves the accolades while the Spirit seeks only to glorify Christ. The Lord sees in secret and will reward openly. We talk about prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, didn't say if, said when you pray, shut the door behind you and to pray to your Father in private and then your Father who sees you, will, uh, sees everything will reward you. 
He who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and who humbles himself will be exalted. When it comes to giving prayer and fasting, exercise discretion and seek to please. Uh, we're, not, we're not doing it to accommodate or, or to uh, patronize God or to try to prove anything to the Lord, but it's a time where God wants to do a deep internal work within us. It's a focused surrender. And we don't exploit our giving so that others see. We don't pray. And while we pray corporately and publicly, that's so important. The private prayer life that we maintain before Lord, the Lord that no one else sees is vital. When you fast, don't walk around with a somber expression, complaining about your inability to eat what you want. And you're taking, the, you're taking one for the team. Do it with joy unto the Lord. That doesn't mean we don't do corporate fast. It just means when we do, we don't walk around like we're being horse, uh, you know, horse whipped. Live Christ in such a way that others will desire him. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in nor do you allow those who uh, are entering it to go in. Be sincere and seek the good of others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. We don't exploit people in the name of Jesus. Don't poison the wells that others drink from. Matthew 23, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land over land and sea to win one convert, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. We're not propagating religion. We're sharing Jesus, the love of Christ. And finally, two more. Practice your Christianity with justice and mercy and truth. Last of all, don't be a hypocrite. God, help me. Uh, Lord, I don't want to wear a face, don't want to wear a mask, don't want to be a pretender, don't want to be a poser, don't want to be any of these things, Lord. I just want to live in your grace and grow in your truth. I want your truth to transform my life, and I want your grace to raise. How many want that today in your life? You want the truth of God to transform your, your life. And if you're wondering why I got this fancy boot, I'm just going to tell you just to get out of the way. I have a broken foot, okay? So I, that's, uh, I, I don't know how that happened. Robin, I think when I was sleeping, twisted my foot. And I woke up said, I know nothing. But I want to say uh, to you this morning, um, I'm not here to promote religion today. I'm just saying, let's not, let's, not, let's understand something, that religion is not the issue. It's the condition of our hearts that become the issue. It's when Christ isn't where he wants to be in your life and it's where we, we do things and they become superficial and loveless and cold and just religious without Christ. It's not religion plus Christ. It's just religion that bows before Christ and acknowledge that he is the way and the truth and the life. Holy Spirit, thou really are welcome here today. Come on, how many, before we, we do anything else, just say, Holy Spirit, you're really welcome here today. 
We give, you a, uh, we give you a heartfelt invitation, Lord. We know that you dwell within, but Lord, you desire to take this place over, Lord, completely, not, not partially, not, not to a percentage that's agreeable to our agenda, but Lord God, you want to take us over, over, over. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, Lord, not to be seen of men, but Lord, to understand that when men see what God has done internally, that will be more powerful than what we try to put on for them to see without Christ. Lord, let the whole world see what Jesus is doing in these temples of your Spirit, God. Let the Holy Spirit, Lord, bring glory and radiance and joy and life and peace and love and humility. And Lord, let us be filled with all that's God and all that's good, all that's righteous in Christ. Hallelujah. How many say, God, I need a refreshment today in my spirit. Lord, I don't want to just be religious without Jesus. I, 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 if, I, if I be religious in any manner, Lord, let it be because I am so passionate about Jesus that I beat down a trail religiously to the places where God has appointed me to be, to serve His will, to do His bidding, to meet with Him, Lord God. Let there be that quiet place, Lord God, that, Lord, is, is there familiar to us because it's such a, a place of consistent destination. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we want to be filled. How many? We need, we need Holy Spirit-filled people at Bethel here to, to begin to, Lord, to pray with others, to, to speak into the lives of others. How many say, God, these hands will be used by you? When you call forth for the laying on of hands, Lord, these hands will be used by you because, Lord, this heart surrendered to you and you have anointed these hands to be laid upon others. And Lord, let there be faith that rises up in this church to the point where we understand regardless of what goes on in this service, that Lord, just like Robin this morning, when, the, when we are closed in with him and, and we just love him and, and we love on Jesus and allow him to love on us, that there is going to be healing released without a word spoken, without anything done, God is going to sweetly move this body and people. I, you know, my, my vision and my prayer is that one day that people, as they worship the Lord, they're gonna, there's going to be an outburst and someone's going to say, I received it! I got it! You say, why would we want that? Well, that's what happened with the, uh, the lame man at the temple gate when he was healed, Right? He, again, he went into the temple and he was leaping and shouting and rejoicing. And they knew that he was the man who had been placed as a beggar outside the gate. Hallelujah. Come on, how many say, God, I, I'm blessed today. I mean, we need to start saying that corporately. I'm blessed. I am blessed in Jesus' name. I am blessed. I am blessed. I, I am wealthy in Jesus' name. And I'm not talking just about material. I'm just saying God releases the wealth of heaven into our hearts, into our minds. I am healthy. I am strong. I am alive. I am joyful in Christ. 
How many of you have been praying for needs in your life, family? You say, Lord, I believe today. I believe for my child. I believe for my grandchild. I believe for my spouse. I want everyone to know that I'm laying claim to God's promises. Because I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Can you just reach out to the Lord today? I don't know if we're still online or not online, but I would just say, if, if, if we are by chance, I would say God wants to do a, a great work in your life. Uh, if, we're, if we are, well, that's great. If we're not, I, 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 you know, I, I just want to say, I extend my hand toward you today. And I believe that the God who we, we gather together in Jesus' name to exalt and to worship and is there. How many will pray with me that, that, that there are rooms and facilities that are going to be overtaken by the Holy Spirit today, that there will just be an inpouring of the Holy Spirit into those rooms. God, we pray for hospitals, hospice care. Lord, we pray over, uh, Lord, uh, uh, retirement communities. As a favor to a, a, a lady, her name is Dee. This is one of the women that, that I serve when I, when I uh, go to the um, re, uh, retirement community. Her name is Dee. And uh, the other night, my, my fo- the phone rang, and I, I didn't recognize who it was at first. But sometimes you, don't, you just don't answer because you don't know where it's coming from. But I, I, I answered the phone, and uh, she was sobbing, just crying. And Dee's a precious soul. She is a, she is a child of God. She's probably in her late 80s, early 90s, and she was just sobbing on the phone. And she said, my son fell, and um, he, was fill- he had been filled with cancer here just recently. It just consumed him. And she would, uh, you know, constantly we would pray together and stand in agreement. It's taught me a lot of things. I've learned a lot of things through this. She called and said, uh, my son, um, he died. He fell and he hemorrhaged, his brain hemorrhaged, hit his head. And, and he was, in, the, I believe, in his 50s. And, uh, you know, when things like that happen, it just reinforces in my spirit, this is why I'm on this earth. This is my highest calling. This is your highest calling. We prayed together. Didn't know what to say, and the Holy Spirit just gives us something that doesn't come from us. Might come through us, but it doesn't come from us. Just begin to pray on, together, just sweet prayers over the phone, and you could just feel the comfort of God entering into the conversation. And I'm going to share one more with you. There's a woman, her name is Kate. Very, very smallish woman. And um, 
first time I'd ever ministered there, she said, you know, she was sitting on a, on a stool and she was just weeping, just weeping. And I walked over and I put my arm around her and I said, um, what's, what's wrong? And she said, I'm just so lonely and my, I miss my husband, I miss, I miss my family. And you know, I just didn't say anything for a few moments and just sat there and God said, you just keep your arm around this woman. And uh, then we, we prayed a little bit and, you know, she we said, well, you know, I'm, we're, you know if you need that I can help you in some way, please. And she said uh, to me, she said, no one has given me a hug. I can't remember the last time someone has given me a hug. And she said, um, that meant more to her than anything else. She says, I, I don't remember the last time anyone's given me a hug. And I thought, God, that's why I'm here. I can give someone a hug in Jesus' name and, and you can minister to that person. And you know, the thing is now, I told her, Every time I see her, I'm going to give her a hug. I don't do that with everybody because someone would probably knock my teeth out if I did. But uh, with her, I make it a point every time. I said, as long as we have any involvement here, you will never go without a hug. You'll always get one because God wants you to have that. And you know... It breaks down a lot of the religion without Jesus. You know what I'm saying? The, all the stuff that gets in the way, all the clutter that gets in the way. And, you know, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to do. I know I'm going a long time, but I want you to hear this. You know, Jesus is showing me that this is about his love being poured into the lives of other people. It doesn't come from me but it flows through me when I let Jesus do that. And he does that for you. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, see, they lack that. And, you know, I don't want to lack that in ministry because there's nothing worse than a, an indifferent, cold pastor. And I got to tell you, uh, there have been times when my heart has been getting cold. Because sometimes you just get weary, you get tired, and you say, God, you know, I know you understand, God. But God wants us to step out. You may go through those experiences in your life, but you're not supposed to live there. God wants to bring you through. He wants to baptize you with a passion and a love that you've never known before. And if I were to tell people, what, 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 why is that involvement there so important to you? It has restored something in my heart that had been misplaced. Because I'm not in charge of anything other than I minister to people, and I'm okay with that. I don't need a title, don't need anything, just Jesus. Do a work in me. Do a work in me.
So I'm going to ask you this morning, will you join with me? Lord, we pray for all of those who are shut in, all of those who, Lord, feel like they are forgot, they are done, that they've, they're, living, they're alive, but they're not living. They're existing, and, and their time has come, and their time has gone, and now they're just waiting for the clock to run out. Lord, we pray for all of those who may be in that position just thinking that they were meant only to exist in this season of life and to run the to just wait for the clock to run to zero. Lord, and that can happen to people regardless of how old they are. There are people who are just living and hoping and somehow the clock runs out and all of this stops and, and the pain stops and the heartache stops and the loneliness stops and the fear stops. God, I just pray that we will understand that's where you have sent us. Lord, to be ambassadors of joy and kindness and love and affection. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, all of those who've watched today, we just pray for great blessings. Pray, Lord God, that they're jumping in their room, they're shouting, they're praising, they're singing, they're sharing what God has done for them because the God in Bethel's building today, even though he doesn't, can't be contained here, is in every one of those facilities. He's with Joe Boratin, right? How many believe that Joe is not insular and isolated and cut off. Jesus is with you today. He's with Gene Mill or Gene, Gene Miles. Holy Spirit, we thank you. He's with Joanne Martin. How many believe that God's with Joanne Martin today? I believe he is. I believe he is. I believe he's with every sick and afflicted soul. He's with the Norse. Gerhard and Janet. He's with them. He's with Helga Kessler. Amen. He's with Shelley today. God's with all of the people whom are standing in a place where only you will do, God. Only you. Either a miracle or a great outpouring of your grace. That's the only thing that will get it done. We praise you for each and every soul. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.